I'm Nick Law, and these are my fermenting thoughts. I recently came across an article written for Pace magazine by Jim Varel called Iconic Craft Breweries Are Completely Surrendering to IPA Dominance. Pretty hooky title, right? I mean, who wouldn't hover their mouse cursor over a headline like that and have a moment of trepidation while a tiny little devil voice is going, go on, Nick, take a look. And a teeny angel voice appears saying, yeah, go on. All right, I will. The article in question argues, and you can read the entire thing for yourself by clicking on the link in the show notes, that breweries such as Cigar City, New Belgium, and mainly the focus of the article, Sierra Nevada are shying away from actively marketing anything other than IPAs, and even their seasonal lineups now consist of four IPAs. Now, regular listeners to the Hot Forward podcast will be well acquainted with how I feel about IPAs, mainly hazy types of the Citra, Simcoe, Mosaic, and Holy Trinity. So this article not only captured my attention, but demanded a response. Recently, I've been reading Mark Dredger's fantastic book, Lager. Shortlisted for the Andre Simon Drinks Book of the Year Award in 2019, this brief history of lager covers everything from the conception of the Rheinheisterbot to British lager louts of the 90s and beyond. It's a fascinating read. One summer evening not so long ago, when I wasn't battling this horrendous head cold you might have detected in my voice, I was sat in the back garden reading lager while drinking a nice, cool, largely citra-hopped IPA. The beer in question? Cool It by Sheffield's much-beloved St. Mars of the Desert. Avid subscribers to the Hot 4 podcast, I'm sure, know and share my love for this quirky little brewery based in the Steel City. I've waxed lyrically enough about them to the point where my wife Claire thinks Dan and Martha should put me on commission. Usually, I'm dubious about beers that focus on any one of the hops from the Unholy Trinity because, with the exception of something like Oakamale Citra, Many of them are pretty one-dimensional, citratastic hot bombs that taste, in my opinion, like every other hazy IPA on the market. Knowing Smod, short for St. Mars of the Desert, tend to brew amazing beers, I was confident this wouldn't disappoint, even if it was going to taste like every other hazy IPA. At least I thought, as it's come from Smod, it's going to be good, right? This wasn't what I expected. What I encountered was a fruity, hoppy IPA that didn't bear any of the hallmarks of your stereotypical IPA. It was complex. It had a smooth floral aroma. It tasted of citrus and bread. It even had a tang of intentional sourness and even a hint of diacetyl that you might associate with a farmhouse ale or a Belgian-style beer. Quite simply, it took my breath away. I haven't been as overawed with a beer since I tried Govinda from the much-missed Cheshire Brewhouse. It was of that calibre. This, to me, is what craft beer is about. Embracing brewing heritage and the beer styles that come with it and fashioning them into something contemporary and new. And this is exactly where Sierra Nevada Brewing Company started out back in 1980. Taking inspiration from Fuller's ESB, Ken Grossman perfected pale ale on his cobbled-together re-engineered dairy tanks before unleashing a storm on the American brewing industry. Sierra Nevada have always, to me at least, embodied the heart and soul of craft brewing by using a wide palette of colours and flavours, creating some diverse beer styles along the way. 
I'll never forget my daughter's face completely light up while sniffing my glass of Sierra Nevada Porter as the toasted coffee aromas hit her nasal passages on my 33rd birthday. It's kind of sad to see that their core, seasonal and little things ranges are dominated by RPAs. To be fair to Sierra Nevada, something the article itself doesn't confess or allude to much, they do actually list their high altitude and speciality beers just under the aforementioned ranges. It's not as if you can't find them. But it is fair to say that their seasonal beers focus solely on IPAs. Perhaps every season is an IPA season to beer drinkers these days. Which brings us back to the point of the article and where lager comes in. If I take one thing from Mark Dredger's book, Lager, it's this. Whether it's the Mexican Corona, the historic Heineken, or Denmark's Carlsberg, most of these now global brands and beer companies starred life creating a wide variety of beer styles, many of which were dark ales. Gradually, over time, as people developed a thirst for this newfangled lager beer, the cream always rises to the top, or shit floats, whichever way you want to look at it, and a flagship brand was born, marketed and sold to the masses. This is how big beer works. From America to Zimbabwe, these brands were so familiar with adorned bars everywhere. Whether it's a double decoction premium Hellas drank in the best beer halls that money can buy, to cheapest chips budget lagers made with corn syrup drank in the slums, lager is the most widely drunk beer style on the entire globe. And here's the big idea. IPA is to the crappier drinker what lager is to the regular consumer. Therefore, as breweries such as New Belgium, Lagunitas, Cigar City, Beavertown and the like grow and get taken over, it makes sense from a marketing perspective that breweries such as these focus on marketing and selling their IPAs. Oh, and look, Mr. Frodo, more lagers. And that's big business for you. Creative integrity and art history don't really come into it. Sales 101. Find out what people want and sell them that. Well, how does this affect the rest of the craft beer industry, I hear you ask? And that is a good question. Whether Sierra Nevada chooses to focus their marketing on selling IPAs is largely by the by. They are merely asking this question. What are people after so we can sell them the thing that they want? It's clear that people want IPAs. I'd be very interested to know the demographic of IPA drinkers in each territory of the world. But we'll just assume that each and every listener to this podcast regularly makes or drinks IPA. While we at least the small percentage of beer snobs amongst us, can bemoan our lot about the alarming lack of variety of beer styles, which is frankly, to a large extent, bullshit. There's loads of variety. Let's not forget that these trends come and go. There was a time where India pale ales dominated the planet as Burton on Trent pumped out hundreds of thousands of litres of the stuff and shipped it eastward. Much in the same way, though, London brewed so much porter that on the 17th of October, 1814, over a million litres of the stuff literally flooded the nation's capital as a vat exploded in the Horseshoe Brewery on Tottenham Court Road. Lest we forget, the public gets what the public wants. While some craft breweries don't care for what society's got and go underground, it makes business sense for many to play into the thirst for IPAs. But why? Oh, why? Tell me, oh brewer, why do they all have to taste and look the same? Why use Citra, Simcoe and Mosaic and everything? 
Why make them all soft, hazy and yellow? Why dry hop them with 15 grams per litre of T90s? When Brian Wilson, famed songwriter of the Beach Boys, presented Pet Sounds, his masterpiece, to the remaining band who came back from their US tour without the troubled composer, lead vocalist Mike Love berated Brian and urged him to stick to the formula. While sticking to the IPA formula may pay dividends for a lot of brewers, are we cutting off our nose to spite our face by doing so? I've recently been impressed to see London Brewers and Spatch and Hob Day embracing their roots and pushing their flagship porter, London Dark, far and wide. A little story from my days at the Sheffield Brewery Company would illustrate the point I'm trying to make. Like every other brew in Sheffield, we produced a cask blonde within the 4% ABV range. It was delicately hopped with SARS, Casbeck and Atanum and was designed to be sessionable, reasonably tasty and an inoffensive beer. It also had stiff competition from the likes of Aberdale Moonshine, Kellam Island Easy Rider and Bradfield Farmers Blonde, which mostly had permanent lines across many of the city's free houses. At one stage, early in my working there, there was a real emphasis and focus from the owners of the brewery to get Blanco Blonde onto more hand pumps as the flagship beer. I argued that it was an impossible task to compete with these well-established brands and that we should refocus our efforts in an area where we had more of a niche, our award-winning Sheffield Porter. Dark beer doesn't sell in high volumes, I was told, to which I responded that one of the world's highest-selling beers and grossing brands, Guinness, is in fact a dark beer. Our sales manager and my partner in crime, Paddy, would often feel phone calls from landlords who were good on beer this week, usually with a pause, and then they'd say, unless you've got anything dark... My argument was to focus our efforts on a niche that nobody else was exploiting and be known for brewing and selling the best dark beer in town. I didn't win my argument, which is sad because an offshoot of this beer, a breakfast stout called Berlin Black, went on to win gold in the dark small pack and keg category at Seba Beer X in 2019. Suddenly, the brewery which I was no longer a part of but the beer that I had brewed and developed, decided it was a good time to start focusing on making dark beers. However, replace the word blonde in this story with the word IPA. And I would imagine many breweries up and down the United Kingdom at least will find themselves in a similar predicament, fighting for elusive tap handles for their range of hoppy IPA beers. You and everybody else. However, if there's a first for it, then perhaps for small independent brewers, it's more of a royal rumble than a fight to the death in the gladiator arena. Think Caesar and Rome more than Wolf and ITV. Which brings me on to my concluding point. Brewers like Sierra Nevada are no longer in the royal rumble. They're pitted against the giants of brewing. AB and Beth, Carlsberg, Heineken, CRS Breweries and Molson Coors. While we associate these breweries largely with lager brands like Budweiser, Stella and Carling, let's not forget these brewing companies also own or have major stakes in brands like Beavertown and Goose Island, who make and sell a lot of IPAs. And then off to the right, there's Brewdog, which shifts a lot of IPA. It's little wonder why these iconic breweries from yesteryear focus on selling alternatives to lager. 
IPA is the new wave drink for the beer drinker. And many small independent craft brewers are as equally caught up in that trend as the global and mid-sized brewers in between. I guess my challenge for the Hot 4 podcast listenership goes back to my London Dark and Blanco Blonde story. How are you going to differentiate yourself? It's a brave, bold move to swim upstream. It's no secret that most bars and bottle shops sell more IPA than anything else. Tesco's biggest selling IPAs are Punk IPA and Vocations Life and Death, so I've been told. Thornship's flagship beer, Jaipur, another favourite of mine, is also an IPA. IPA is literally everywhere. But does it all need to look and taste like the next IPA down the road? If you're not going to focus on an alternative beer style, what can you do to your IPA, like Smod with Cool It, that I referenced earlier, to make yours sufficiently different to stand out from the crowd, yet satisfy the 95% of non-beer geeks that drink beer to, you know, just drink beer? It's a million dollar question that I don't have the answer to. But as brewers, I think we need to be asking those questions and we need to be exploring the answers to them. In the meantime, I'll rejoice in anything that's not a hazy IPA and hope and pray to God that perhaps as the IPA trend endures and is in fact here to stay, perhaps we'll start to see more IPAs that embrace other flavours from malt varieties, British hops, yeast strains, and maybe, just maybe, not brewing them with the unholy trinity, Citra, Simcoe, and Mosaic. Cheers for listening. Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. <laughs>